The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Practical Spirituality. Positive Messages. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org. The voice of an awakening world. Empower yourself and get inspired to build the life of your dreams. Welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Dr. Drayvon James and this is Everyday Peace. I'm super excited to be here with you today as we explore the concept of living a life of peace every day day. Peace defined as wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. That excites me every time I say it. So on this program, we talk about the philosophy of everyday peace and a system for us to achieve our next level of greatness. I hope that I hope that just charges you. You can feel it in every part of your body, you at your next level of greatness, using everything that has shown up in your life, the good, the bad, and everything in between. We bring you the guests and the topics that highlight opportunities for us to learn, grow, and even be entertained. So if you missed our show last week, you missed two amazing guests. We had Connie Hubner, who um, talked to us about using the energy of the Divine Mother to heal and improve every area of our life. We also talked to author and life coach Michael Taylor about his book, If Jesus Were a Coach. Michael gave us great tips uh, for using the teachings of the Bible in our daily life. So what a great way to... um, Uh, to go back and listen to those two wonderful guests and get some pointers on moving to your next level of greatness using the the energy of the Divine Mother and learning to use the teachings of the Bible in your daily life. If you miss this show or any of our past episodes, you can always go back and listen to them by subscribing to the Dr. Drayvon James Everyday Peace podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or you can listen to them on unityonlineradio.org. So I highly encourage you to go back and do that. There are some wonderful jewels, some nuggets there for you to help you achieve your next level of greatness in this year. You can also access um, past shows and interviews that I've done, wisdoms. You can uh, excerpt from my book, Freedom is Your Birthright, free teachings and life coach um, classes on my website at drdravonjames.com. If you have not yet booked that, bookmarked that in your favorites, go ahead and do that today. You will be glad that you did. Some wonderful, wonderful opportunities for growth and development on drdravonjames.com website. Also, if you are not part of our exclusive fun Um, just engaging and supportive website called Leaders in High Heels. You can find us on Facebook. Um, You can uh, join by visiting my Facebook page or you can uh, subscribe by being on my, go to my website or on any social media, Instagram as well. I encourage you to do that. If you are looking on how, absolutely how, you need some support on how to move to your next level of greatness, whether it's in your health, your wealth, or your relationships. Join this absolutely free group, learn how to do just that. So we have been talking about 
our theme for the year, for 2022, you know we got to have a focus point, right? We are focusing on this statement. It's time to improve my life. Does that make you happy? It makes me happy. It's time to improve my life. And with that, everything that we're talking about this year, everything that we're focusing on this year is being grateful for where we are and using the energy of gratitude to move us to where we want to be. So that leads me to our everyday peace moment. And our topic for our everyday peace moment today is go small to win big. Go small to win big. What do we mean by that? Well, we often hear people say, go big or go home. And I don't know about you, when I hear go big or go home, I actually kind of really do want to just go home because I'm thinking to myself, gosh, it took so much energy and effort to get to this level. And if you're looking for more energy, more effort, I may not be able to summon that up. So maybe you could just count me out. But here's some encouraging news for you. No, we're not going to count you out. You are going to get to your next level. You're going to achieve those goals. You're going to become the person that you've always wanted to be by making small, consistent efforts every day. I'm talking about things that only take about two to five minutes. And if you can't think of anything, you have a goal and that's even more of the reason to reach out to me. Go on my website, hit comments, connect with me, get on a discovery call with me. They're absolutely free. I can give you some pointers on how to go small to win big. Two to five minutes a day. Just tweaking some of your activities to get those huge results that you want. Because... When we make change easy, we get consistent improvements in our life. So that is our everyday peace moment for today. I'm super excited that you um, that you're here, that you're here because we got some amazing guests for us today. Our first guest is Dr. Mark Halburn. You guys know I can mess up a, a last name. I'm sure I said it said it wrong. I, my apologies. We're going to fix it. But he is a chiropractor, an author, a lecturer, and a certified heart math practitioner, who is also certified in additional healing modalities, including Psyche, and he is here to share his personal and professional life with us. Um, he is, has an extraordinary presence as being a winner in all things, and just being an extraordinary guy, intellectually, uh, done some wonderful things athletically, but he says that he's been living a double life. To the outside world, he appears to be confident and capable as a, as a chiropractor, growing a practice, excellent in sports, but suffers from or suffered from past tense anxiety, crippling anxiety. And he's here to share with us today how he overcame that. He's offering a six-week uh course to help you or one of your loved ones also overcome that. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm super excited. I told you before we came on the air, this subject um, really interests me as I know professionals who are in the same um, situation in life. So tell us a little bit about where you were and how you were able to discover um, this healing modality. Well, sure. Um, well, I'm, I just turned 50, so big milestone uh, last year. Uh, but my sort of journey started when I was a child. Um, you know, I would say early on, I was a very healthy, well-adjusted child. I, was, uh, I had love around me. I had friends. And by, for all intents and purposes, most people would just say I was a very well-adjusted, healthy child. 
but sometime right around, you know, grade six, seven, when you're 12, 13 years old, and all of the teenage angst starts and hormones start, and you start developing insecurities, and all of that sort of spun out of control for me in my early to mid-teen years. And it was really about developing bad thinking habits. And as you start to develop these bad thinking habits and maybe a bit of um, insecurity, you start to think negatively, and as you think negatively, you get uh, chemical release in your brain and in your body, and that chemical release creates anxiety. And when you create more anxiety, then that creates more chemicals in your brain, and that creates more thoughts, and then you create more anxiety. And then it becomes this whole circle, and it becomes a neurological program that becomes ingrained in your body. And that's what happened to me. It was just over and over the same thought patterns, the same insecurities over and over and over again. And so they became really a locked-in pattern. And I lost the ability to become sad or to become angry. It was all anxiety. Every emotion about me as anxiety. I was always anxious. And this went on, you know, in my teens and in my 20s and in my 30s. And because of who I am, I mean, I've got partly a spiritual background, partly a scientific background. You know, I just wanted to try everything I could to get rid of anxiety. And so my, my approach was to try everything, every Eastern-based, every Western-based approach, until one day I should find that answer and, you know, solve my problem and move on with life. Uh, unfortunately, that's not really what happens. You know, you start looking for answers and life starts happening. You get a little bit of results with one thing and then not, not, not as good as you'd like, and then you move on to another and so it set up sort of this whole process of being excited and hopeful of change and then disappointment because it didn't work as well as I would like. And that sort of pattern went on for years and years and years. And really, I had tried, you name it, I had tried it from psychotherapies and medications to cognitive behavior therapy and energy work and shamans and naturopaths and homeopaths. I mean, really, you name it, I, I tried it, books and courses and everything. Um, and when it, you know, over, over the years, I, I found something that worked for me. And one of them, uh, the main one that really worked for me to start the process is called HeartMap. And HeartMap uses your breath and it uses your visualization skills and it uses your ability to create an emotion. And what happens is as you start to use these techniques, you start to create balance in your life. And that balance is called coherence. Coherence is a term used when you create balance between your heart and your brain. And as you get uh, this balance between your heart and your brain, it starts to influence, the heart starts to influence the brain because the heart's signal is about 40 times stronger than the brain. And so you start to influence the brain. And essentially what I found was a way to self-regulate, to be able to change my mood and to be able to choose the emotional state that I wanted to be in. And the more you start to practice the emotional state you want to be in, the more familiar it becomes. And the more familiar it becomes, the more easy it becomes to, for you to attain that emotional um, state. And so as you start practicing emotional, uh, up, up, uplifted emotions and happy emotions and gratitude and, and love and joy, as you start practicing those emotions, they become much more easy to trigger and they become your natural step point. And so really what I did is I started this evolution of, of how in the moment to change my own physiological state. And that led to the coherent revolution. I, I love everything you just said because one thing in the very beginning, and I, wanted, I don't want our listeners to miss this, is you mentioned that this anxiety started when you were a younger person, and it was the thoughts that created the chemical imbalance, right? Because the thoughts were creating something, and they were perpetual. And then after it goes on for a long period of time, it sort of takes on a, a life of its own, right? But I think it's so very important that we 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 start there at the very beginning that 
understanding that we do have this incredible ability to re-regulate ourselves, right? To re-regulate even the chemical, you know, balance inside of you that created this this anxiousness, right? And so starting there is so very important and realizing that if we can start it, we can stop it, which is what you, you've you um, discovered is is how to go back and how to re-regulate it. And you mentioned the, the heart math, which I'm um, sure people are familiar with, but how difficult was it for you to to actually start seeing results? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I started with the technique heart math. Heart math is a company, they wrote books, they did research on the heart and the brain, they've got a biofeedback equipment that helps you learn their technique. But you don't need to read their books and you don't need to use their technology. I used it all, but you don't really need to. Uh, some people enjoy it and some people don't, you know, don't find it necessary. But I started way back in 2005. And, you know, like anything, I just kind of tried it a little bit and I got a little bit more relaxed. And I didn't really put my full uh, attention to it. And it took several years, actually. It was about 2011 when I had my first what I would call breakthrough. Because HeartMath uses three things, as I mentioned. One is the way you breathe, and it's a specific type of breath work. The second is visualization, and the third is feeling different emotions. And the emotional part is the, is the most important part, being able to feel a specific emotion. And so as, as I was using, I remember it was one day I was sitting on my bed, and I was hooked up to a heart monitor. HeartMath has these heart monitors that you can put on your finger or on your ear, and you can start to see how your heart rhythm is changing as you do this technique. And it's set up so that it gives you feedback that if you're doing it properly, it will tell you you're doing it properly. And then it will tell you when you're in this physiological state of coherence, which is when your heart rhythm entrains your brain rhythm uh, to be in the same frequency as the heart. And so as, uh, as I was doing it, I was sitting there thinking, okay, I was breathing properly, and I was visualizing, and I was thinking, how can I get coherent? What can I, what can I visualize, or what can I feel? And I was thinking about, you know, um, an ocean. I was thinking about lying on a beach. I was thinking about floating on a cloud. And I was thinking about all these relaxing things or uplifting things, and nothing was working. And so I was getting frustrated, which is exactly the opposite of what you want to do. And so I took a, a break, and I just sort of said to myself, what can I naturally feel? How, what can I think of right now that will create an emotional response? And so I thought in the moment, my daughter at the time was about six years old, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to picture her jumping into my arms, giving me a hug. And so as I, as I visualized my daughter jumping into my arms, I didn't just think about it. I literally felt her hands around me. I felt the warmth. I felt the kiss that she gave me on my cheek. I felt the, the, our bodies just feeling that hug. And in that moment, the, the biofeedback equipment went directly to coherence. It turned green. It made a beep. And I felt this, this feeling. It was this sensation that went through my entire body. And the only way to describe it was completely imbalanced, completely uplifted. I felt like everything was right in my world. I felt like I was in the right place at the right time and everything was functioning in the way it should be. And the only way I could describe it was a coherent, balanced feeling. And it wasn't a philosophical concept anymore. This was a reality. I was feeling it and it didn't take days. It didn't take hours to accomplish. It literally took me seconds. And so it was in that moment that I realized that when you do the breath work and you do the visualization and you feel the emotion, you can literally change your physiological state in seconds. And that really revolutionized everything for me. And that was back in 2011. 
And then after that, I started teaching it to patients and I started, uh, you know, creating some of my own techniques. And, you know, for the, for the course Coherence Revolution, we learned that heart math is just one way to get your body into physiological coherence. But you can also do it through all of your senses. You can do it through sight and sound and touch and smell and taste. And you can do it through nature. And so this state of physiological coherence, anybody can attain it. It's just about utilizing the world around you and your own physiology to be able to change it. And so we really dive in and teach people how to do that. Oh, this is exciting. And I know you have two courses coming up where you're helping people to work through their anxiety and uh, utilizing this process. Tell us a bit about those courses and when they're going to take place. Sure. There's um, the Coherence Revolution, the launch of it. The book is out. Uh, and what I've done for your listeners is we have a landing page. And if you go to www.coherencerevolution.com forward slash 2022, if you go to that uh, landing page, you can actually download the book for free. I want all, the, all your listeners to be able to uh, read it and start doing the work and start to change their lives. But for those people that really want to make a difference and jump into the work, um, you also can access 50% uh, off the launch of the course and the workbook, uh, and that's on, on, the, on that page. And so the launch is on Monday, February 21st, uh, and again on Saturday, March 12th. Um, there's two different start dates, and um, and so you can access any of those start dates with, with the 50% off coupon. So what I'm really wanting people to do is to go to the website and go to the landing page, check it out, see if it resonates with them. They can reach out, and if you have any questions, you can ask me. But otherwise, to really dive in and take the six weeks, it's time for you to you know, dive into your own life, to figure out what works for you, to learn how to use your own body, to learn how to use the tools that you have, to create this state of coherence where you feel you feel more alive, you feel more inspired, you don't feel pain, you sleep better. You're able to handle the world around you and deal with the people in your lives in a much different way. Because when you're coherent, it's essentially the most resilient, uplifting state that you can be in. And I want to teach people how to do that on a regular basis, on a day-to-day -day basis. This is such important work because anxiety is, uh, you know, crippling for most people. And what we have to know is that life is happening, right? It is happening. There are days when we're going to experience that are just so overwhelming, so busy, and there are going to be disappointing things. And the more we are equipped to handle the fluctuation of things as they come into our lives, the more balanced that we are, um, the better life experience we're going to have. It's, it's almost... Um, it's a, it was a losing battle to, to believe that we can prepare for every external event that's going to happen, right? But it's so much within our control to know how to handle those events, to emotionally be uh, prepared to handle those things as they happen. You know, we want to be as prepared as possible, obviously. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. We've all heard that a thousand times. But being able to, uh, I think the best bang for our buck is going to be knowing how to manage ourselves from the inside out. And I love the idea of using the five senses. And you talk about, you know, the feeling that you get and, and you could really uh, not only remember, but you were engaged in all five senses practically with your six-year-old daughter jumping into your arms. It seems to me that a lot of that work and I don't know what your what, what your degree of anxiety was when you were doing that work, but I know for myself and maybe many others, sometimes when you're in the midst of 
being anxious about anything, it's kind of hard to recall, right? Because you're so, you're so, I don't know, you're so out of the moment, let's say it that way. You're so out Mm -hmm. of the moment, it's hard to recall. So it seems to me there must be some type of work you can do ahead of time to get yourself ready. So when you do feel this anxiety or this anxiousness welling up in you, and, and, and I think this course is good for everybody. Let me just say that because I don't know anybody who doesn't deal with anxiety, who doesn't deal with anxious behavior. There may be different degrees of it, but hey, if you're if you don't have crippling anxiety, but you you know you do experience anxiety, we all do, how much better would your life be if you knew how to handle it instead of letting it handle you? So back to that question, which I kind of jumped over, you know, there seems to be some kind of self-awareness techniques that have to be done when you're not in an anxious state. Is that true? Well, there is. And, and the fact is, like, I, in, in the book, I, I use this term. I called it fight or flight then. In other words, fight or flight is that state of stress, and then is the state of peace. And I called it fight or flight then because what I developed was this ability that I would be at home having a panic attack or anxious or just really beyond myself and as you said, that's not the moment to make the best decision. That's not the moment to do your best work. That's not the moment to have come up with the plan. But what I had is this, this, this voice inside of my head. You can call it intuition. I call it my inner voice, whatever you want to call it. But it would say to me, I know you really are in a bad state right now, but go get in the shower because the water is going to help. Or you know this is just your blood sugar. You're getting more anxious because you haven't eaten in six hours. Go put something in your mouth, eat something, get your blood sugar down, and then we can think about this. So it's almost like there's that little voice that will tell you the little things that you can do to get yourself into a better frame of mind. And in many cases, it's simply just taking a, a break and then taking a breath. So in other words, you pause and you go, wow, I'm, I'm, I actually am anxious or I'm not feeling right in this moment or, or I'm not okay with what." just happened. And even though you might not be able to figure it out, if you stop and take a few stomach breaths, tummy breaths, where you breathe into your nose, fill up your stomach just like a balloon, and then blow out to your mouth like pursed lips, and you, you know, just very slowly. So it sounds something like this. And then into the nose and out through pursed lips like, and just elongate that out breath. And as you elongate the out-breath, you you stimulate the relaxation system of your body. And so just by taking two or three elongated breaths, you now should be in a different physiological state to at least reassess the situation, to reassess what the best move is, to reassess what what is the best uh, course of action. And I think most people just, they try to make so many decisions in the state of fight or flight and stress that they're making very rash decisions, they're not making the best decisions, and they're not doing the best work. So uh, even if you can't do a full technique or you can't you know, have an hour to get yourself in the best mind or headspace, just taking 30 seconds to do a few different breaths, uh, deep breaths into the stomach will help to relax your body. Oh, I I love this. And and I hope our listeners caught that because that's some great, a great tip that you gave that elongated breath, you know, breathing in um, through the nose and extending the belly button all the way out. And then that long um, exhale through pursed lips helps to re-regulate the body, you know, and engage the parasympathetic nervous system. And, and it's so funny that you were okay. talking about this as, as you're talking. Um, I have this technique and it sounds so similar, it made me smile when you were saying it, you know, really think about and um, 
taking care of a middle schooler, and maybe that resonates with me because I have two kids that are in college now, but I remember the middle school middle school ages you know <laughs> those are the make them or break them years because um there was a lot of tears in that year you know there's so much going on with the kids and all of that and the thing to do when they came home really anxious like that was you know to really you know sort of get them to breathe to get you know let them cry or whatever and then it started asking some questions can i get you something to eat would you like a glass of water why don't you put your your head on right. my lap for for a few minutes and let me rub your back you know while you heave up and down and it's okay you this is a safe space and so once they got through all of that right with no questioning no judgment just you know what what, let's figure out what you need right now because you know you're home with mommy and we're safe. So let's figure out what you need. And I think that sometimes we forget to do that parenting on ourselves. You know, we're rushing. Mm-hmm. We we got deadlines. We have this and we got that. And really, we start becoming the biggest pusher of ours. You know, we start pushing and engaging ourselves. And we look around that that person who's got the whip to our backs is us. And we need to be to be able to disengage and say, hold on a second. When is the last time you had something to eat? I love the idea about let's go take a warm shower. Let's go do that. Let's go feel. Let's reconnect. You know, I always tell people, if you can get outside and get some sun on your face or better yet, take your shoes off and get some earth on your feet. All of yeah. these things to help reengage us. Right. To to, you know, to stop that, you know, that, that um, sympathetic response and you know, that 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 stress response. This is a wonderful opportunity, I think, for people to work with you. And I love the fact that here you are on the surface and, and there's so many people who are hiding in the shadows um, because of their position in life. And, you know, but here you are, this successful guy on the surface. You've got everything going on, but you're you're vulnerable enough to say, here's what's going on with me. Here's what was going on with me and that you've done the work to 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 unpack this to figure out what's going on and then you're reaching back with your six-week course to say to other people no matter where you are on the scope of anxiety it doesn't have to be this way and you can help them to um to gain their life back i'll say it that way because anxiety really does strip you of your life so we've got just about less than a minute left here a couple seconds tell us how we can how we can get to your course again Sure. If anybody has any questions for me, they can go to the website and there's an email on there uh, that you can contact me. But if you go to www.coherencerevolution.com forward slash 2022, you'll be able to get the free ebook. You'll see the the discount code for the course and the workbook. Uh, I really recommend anybody, I encourage anybody that wants to change their life and and learn how to create a system in their life that will work for them. Please join us and, and, and start your own coherence revolution. Wonderful. Thank you for being here with us, Mark. We'll be back after these messages. Awaken to the divine within. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org. Create and build the life of your dreams. Welcome back to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. Drayvon James. This is Everyday Peace. We're on to our second guest, Radia Gleese. She is the author of the book, The Followers, Holy Hell and the Disciples of Narcissistic Leaders, How My Years in a Notorious Cult Parallel Today's Cultural Mania, about her experiences with a cult 
and the parallels with today's cultural climate. This is going to be a riveting conversation. Very, very timely. Radia, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Very happy to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you. So the malignant powers of group thinking, I told you just before we went on the air that um, if that isn't so timely for just today in, this, in the culture that we live in right now, this group thinking and how malignant it can be when we, when we lose our ability to think for ourselves, right? So I want to yeah. go to the beginning of your story and um, we have about 18 minutes. So, but if you could please tell us, you know, how this happened? How did you get into this cult? How did you get out? And then give us the lessons that we can use today. Because even if we don't get in a cult like this, I agree that this malignant power of groupthink is dangerous. So let's just start with how you got in. Well, basically, I mean, that's such a, that's a long and involved story, which is, I, I put my book in three sections um, so that I could sort of walk you through from the time I was young, you know, because I wanted to talk about the characteristics that drive us to um, to want to be a part of something, whether it's um, to belong somewhere, um, to have a group of like-minded people in your life. You know, so these there's all kinds of different psychological things that, you know, sort of drive a person to look for that. And I grew up in Los Angeles in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And uh, I grew up in a, you know, in those days, and I don't know how it is now because I was, I never became a mom. Um, but in those days, we were like, Dr. James, if you ever saw the uh, the series Mad Men? Yes. Okay, that's that was my life. Um, that was my parents, you know, it was, uh, they were the entrepreneur class, they were very uh, into themselves, you know, um, a lot of, they said in those days, they just referred to it as cocktail time, but uh, they were alcoholics, everybody was in those days. And they were somewhat narcissistic themselves. So, you know, in psychology, they talk about um, something called secure attachment. And uh, I never had secure attachment as a child. You know, I either, I, I was never a child. I had to like, <laughs> I had to immediately go into the adult world or I was nowhere. So, you know, I think from a psychological standpoint, I was always looking for um, a family, a home, you know, where where I could be a part of something instead of having to fit into somebody else's world, you know. So this was a group of like-minded people. Um, it didn't start out as a cult. When I first uh, when I first met the leader, he wasn't a leader at the time. There was only four of us, you know, four of us in a room. Um, we were all talking about a particular type of uh, meditation that was passed down from the Maharaji um, Primpralu. Prim Paul Rawat was his full name. And we were just interested in divine union. We were, we were interested in seeking God realization would be a, a word or a terminology that they would use, or enlightenment. Um, and so I was seeking that for a lot of reasons. I grew up a Catholic although I left Catholicism at an early age, I was really enamored with the saints. 
I wanted to be a saint. Um, not, oh, look at me, aren't I a beautiful person? But I wanted that union, whatever that transcendental state that we we learn about in in Catholic school and all of that. I wanted that transcendental union. So I set out on a pursuit and I, and I was, you know, I took comparative religions in uh, freshman year. I was 14 and we were talking about Hinduism and Buddhism and Christianity and all kinds of isms. And the teacher was talking in Hinduism of a word named uh, called Nirvana. And I asked him what that meant. And he said, well, there are yogis in India that through a certain meditation experience God directly. And that is Nirvana. So I was in hot pursuit of that. And I went for another mm, 14 years looking for Nirvana or anyone who could show me that. And then I found uh, someone who claimed that they could. And that was, that, was this, that was this group, which was really small. And I didn't get involved until uh, he was in, from Florida. He finally moved to L.A., brought a little group with him. So when I met them, there were about 15, all meditating with this particular type of meditation practice. So it was all about the meditation. It wasn't about him. Um, but he had narcissistic tendencies. Nobody really knew what a narcissist was in those days, but he had narcissistic tendencies. I think we all do, you know. But um, little did we know that we would feed it into uh, a malignant narcissism. So in the beginning, it was, you know, connect to God's love. And after a while, the message became connect to my love, you know. And um, the elders in the group were all, you know, connecting to this meditation and after a while, he stopped showing those techniques to uh, new generations coming in, and he would he start change started to change the programming to uh, you can only experience this through me. So he started to see himself like a Jesus or a Buddha, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it started to grow like that into this distortion of uh, being subject to. A malignant narcissist. And so, and it all started out. I love, I love the fact that you you bring it to the beginning. Is we all want to be a part of something, right? And uh, yeah. every action is connected to, and this is every action is connected to some inner need that we have. Every action, yeah. from eating to sleeping to who, you know, going to the yeah. movies to every action is connected to an inner action that we have. And so being able to acknowledge what is our real need and then being able to discern um, the involvement is so very important. And it's, it's, I won't say easy, but it's quite, it's quite easy given the fact that you, you know, a person may have felt alone in all their endeavors to get involved in something that uh, seems on the surface to really meet that need, but the undercurrent of which is uh, damaging, for lack of a better better term. So so you're in this cult, you're in this environment, and the individual who, it doesn't sound like it started out that way necessarily, but they obviously had some needs of their own, and this progresses right. down this dangerous path. You just uh -huh. automatically on your own wake up and realize that this is dangerous, or was there some um, pivotal moment that said, oh, shock to the no, system, I'm awake. 
Yeah, no, it didn't happen like that. You know, and a lot of people, uh, you know, I've been asked, I've been interviewed many, many times, and I've been asked to to write articles, and uh, the last article I wrote was called The Dangers of Group Think. And then I was just, I was just asked, um, this was an interview, a written interview, and they asked me, uh, typically everybody says, how did you escape? And I, I always say, you know, that, that word is a very dramatic way of sensationalizing uh, groups or cults. Escape makes it sound like we were, you know, chained up in some dungeon somewhere. Um, I didn't escape the Buddha field. I, I left. Now, it took me a long time to leave. I wanted to leave in 1995, but I didn't leave until 2006. And the reason why is because even though I started to see, you know, I was an elder, so I was, I was close to him. Um, I, I try and the best way to explain what my relationship was to him was I was sort of like his Michael Cohen. You know, my father was a big time lawyer and I was a, you know, healthcare practitioner. So I was his advisor on both legal and medical issues. And I always say, you know, I really understand Michael Cohen because when you are the advisor to the most powerful person in your little world, what do you think that does to your brain, to your mind, to your ego, you know? Mm. Yeah. And so I definitely, you know, I started to lose any kind of enthusiasm for him as a spiritual teacher. You know, I was initiated in 1984. He stopped initiating people in 1988, I think, 88 or 89. Which, yet we still remained with him for 20-some-odd years. So he kept these people dangling uh, on this carrot for like 18 years to get what he tried to get from them. You know, but for the ones that were initiated, our experience in that meditation had little to do with him. So I didn't need him anymore, but I needed my community. So mm. this was my these were my best friends. This was my family. This were these were people that not only was our lifestyle supported, which was very healthy, um, very healthy, very um, ensconced in our discipline, where you could not get that on the outside. So you weren't going to get any kind of support for that. Um, and also, like, these were people that, two things, that they understood me and I understood them. And also because groups like this, they, they breed exceptionalism. So you start to believe that there's nothing out there, that, that it all pales in comparison to you and what your experience is. So the, the Nazism of the starts to wear off on the followers and they start to feel like they're exceptional like they're the ones that know the secret and no one else does so that becomes its own trap you know because where do you go you know you if you left not only did he enforce the idea that if you left you would betray god but if you left uh you would go into the desert alone and forsaken you know so it's much more 
complex than just saying, oh, why didn't you leave? Or, you know, did you escape or whatever? It, it doesn't really happen like that. It's much more nuanced. And it's and it's much more insidious and a lot more dangerous in my mind that I mean, well, there's different types of dangerous not, not let me not say more dangerous, but to to enslave or entrap someone's mind is the ultimate. Right. Exactly. So for you for you to feel as though you can't yeah. leave, you know, it makes me think about that old story when they say, you know, you, you can tell you can an elephant being so strong, but after a while you can yeah. just put a rope around them and tie them to a little pole and they won't move because their mind believes that there is that they can't. So that that is actually probably the that is the goal of every enslavement entrapment is to get the mind and the body will follow. Right. So if, if you if you have the body without the mind, escape is coming. But if you have the mind, the body will follow. So I think that's even exactly. more, um, more, more dangerous and more insidious. So um, we're talking about this for for uh, for uh, the reason of thinking about in today's culture. And let's bring it to this uh, here. Here we are, have in today's culture group thinking. How are you seeing that and how are you? How should people be empowered not to be sucked into the malignant powers of groupthink? Yeah, it's very, very complex today because because our life and our world is so complex and our our communication system is so complex. So we can we can manipulate the population in a half a second on the Internet, you know, um, on a meme, for example, you know, we will. We find our echo chambers, and those become almost their own cult. You know, where you don't, you, you know, there's, there's two different kinds of teaching. There's Socratic teaching and non-Socratic teaching. And Socratic teaching means you put an idea out there, and basically you, you can add, you can subtract, you can question, um, and you walk away with your own conclusion. But when an idea is non-Socratic, it becomes dogma and then mm-hmm. dogma becomes cult like so therefore you don't question you're not allowed to question and we're we're dealing with this on so many levels today it is frightening and more and more people are becoming uh vicious in their response you know we're we're no longer having uh, intelligent conversations about anything um it's it's we're labeling each other we're putting up where you or you know and the powers that be they'll use one word or one phrase to basically put up the hand and and stop the conversation so that is a that is a malignant form of mental manipulation um and so that it doesn't necessarily have to have a leader Although this whole thing was sort of triggered, this whole book was triggered, Um, my book is called The Followers, Holy Hell and the Disciple of Narcissistic Leaders. Well, holy hell is in quotes because this is based on the video, or the video, the documentary, that was released in 2016 about the group, about the Buddha field. This uh, This was presented in Sundance, and then CNN bought it, and then Netflix bought it. It was top ten uh, uh, documentary, and now it's on Amazon. But that is about my group. I'm in that film. And when that wow. came out, yeah, when that came out, if you haven't seen it, 
oh my God, it'll give you goosebumps. But when that movie came out is when I really found the details of the abuse, the sexual abuse of my brothers. Um, and that was 10 years after I left. So when that happened, I was again re-traumatized when that, I went to Sundance and I'm sitting there, you know, almost innocently with my friends and there is my life splayed out on the big screen with a whole bunch of, of strangers and I had never seen it before. So I was in a shock, you know, and that's when I decided to do the research on my book because I started to see not only what happened to me, but I started to see that this is happening in my country. And I wanted to explore why, how does this happen? You know, people say to me all the time, it's really funny, Dr. James, it's, it's like people go, Todd, Radia, you know, when I talk to you, you sound so intelligent. It's like, thanks, I think. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like, you look so good since you lost all that weight. You know, it's like, I don't know if that's a compliment or what. So, you know, m my point in saying that is because people think, that people who get involved in cults or groups like this or manipulated by narcissists are either stupid or uneducated or gullible, you know, and, and they characterize people like that because they insulate themselves from that. They, they feel that they're immune to being that kind of person. And I always say to people, well, you think that the millionaires and the lawyers that got taken by Bernie Madoff were stupid or uneducated? No, he was a con man and a really good one. It's not about education or stupidity. It's about human nature. And, if, and the narcissist, the malignant narcissist, figures out what you want or what you're afraid of and gives you at least the illusion that that's what you'll get from them in return for your adulation, for your, you know... Um, really for your allowing them to control you that's what the malignant narcissist is all about they don't care about you they only care about themselves so when uh, donald trump came into office um people are going to look at my book and you, it's very hard to talk about a president of the united states and not think or not assume that it's political but this is not about politics this is about pathology and i I, you know, people have said to me, well, what about the cult of Obama? Um, there was no cult of Obama as there was no cult of Reagan or Bush or Clinton or the presidents before us. So what makes this different? Uh, extremism is one, you know, when you go from a, from a little sign on your front lawn to a flag the size of a mid-sized car, when you wave it with with a combination of that and <clears throat> other giant flags that you're waving on the back of a truck in a parade down a thing. We saw this in Nazi Germany too. Right. And although we're, yeah. And, and I just want to say, we're careful to say that we're, we're not endorsing one political view over another. You're simply talking about how we as a group of people, as a society can avoid group think, how we can still maintain, you can support whomever you want to support. And we, we're all in support of that, but being able to maintain your independent thought process is one thing I will say for certain. And, and this comes to my mind as you're talking to me, because I can see this everywhere. Um, right here. I can see it in, 
you know, in corporate America, I can see it everywhere where we don't take seriously the right to freedom of thought and speech, right? When we feel as though we have a right to condemn someone for having an alternative viewpoint, no matter how irrational it may seem, they do have a right to voice their opinion. And we've seen a lot of that even with the pandemic, you know, no matter what side of the fence you fall in on that. We've seen people who have been just vilified for what for for one view over another view and instead of saying oh my gosh how wonderful it is to live in a country where it's okay and it is expected that we all have individualistic viewpoints so that we all are not marching to the beat of the same drum it's okay we and, and there are there are dangers with that right and i think we as a country are equipped to we've been groomed since since the beginning of time to embrace differences to well, embrace that's, that's, a culture right yeah that's the point so we have to be careful when we use the word cult and I have this uh, in, in the third section of my book, in the first chapter, it says, what is it called? It's complicated. And so there are some right. characteristics that you have. It's one of my funnier, uh, one of my funnier uh, chapters. But it has nothing to do with, like, you know, I just mentioned, you know, there, there was no cult of this president or that. It doesn't mean because you like someone or you like a particular policy or you like a particular uh, political persuasion that you're in a cult. That is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when you have extreme behavior, when you have bullying of the opposite side, when you have this vitriolic anger towards, and you mentioned it, whether it has to do with COVID or whether it has to do with, you know, everything today is now in a heightened um, perspective of you cannot feel this way or this idea of exceptionalism. Like, you know, we're this and you're that. And so it's an us and a them instead of all of us, all of us as a human race, all of us as an American, all of us as, you know, as a country unified. No, we're divided right now. And that is cult mentality. That's us versus them. And that's a very, very dangerous, slippery slope that we're, that we're yeah. looking at in, in all ways, I, you know. Yeah, I, you know, the word that comes to my mind when you're saying that is that where is the tolerance for difference, right? That has to be, you know, that's that's how we make beautiful music and movies is because we find this this tolerance for difference. And then even a, a, we go a step beyond that and we find the appreciation for difference because when someone um, provides you with a differing uh, opposing viewpoint, it gives you an opportunity to look inward and say oh and to reevaluate not saying that you're going to change your mind you may very well not change your mind but it all but it gives you the opportunity to reevaluate and without that i think we we destroy the mystery of life if we all just show up and we're think about how boring we would be right if we all just showed up with the same viewpoint it's almost like every girl showing up to the dance with the same dress on okay right right we want we want some variety here we we want to feel as though Every voice matters, and the reason why every voice matters is because every voice represents maybe a boldly different viewpoint or even a slightly different viewpoint, but a, but their own personal experience. And something that you said, I, I, I don't want to go away from this. Uh, I want to go back and tell people how to get this book, but something that you said in the very beginning of this is this longing 
at a at a very early age or at any age to belong mm-hmm. to something, to be connected to something, to find meaning in the universe, to find meaning in our life. Mm-hmm. That is a wonderful quest. It is a yeah. wonderful quest. But we have to be mindful in in all of that to keep our eyes open and to be, and to be forever um I guess, for lack of a better term, to be forever acknowledging that there are predators out there. There are unhealthy people out there, right, right, right. who would there, seek to take advantage of our vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That you can tell a malignant narcissist. From any, like I said, all politicians are narcissists, all celebrities are. We all have to have that sort of self-confidence to be able to, you know, get out there and, and do that. That it, there's a difference between that and a malignant narcissism. A malignant narcissism is not a character flaw. That is a pathology and a very mm-hmm. dangerous pathology because it is incurable. And so you can tell when you, and this can be, and you mentioned this earlier, this could be a spouse, it could be a boss, it could be your, you know, preacher, it could be all different kinds of people in your life. And, and Roddy, you I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to, and we got 10 seconds, but I don't want to end without telling our listening audience again, the name of the book and where they can get it. This is powerful information that you're giving. All right. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so the name of the book is The Followers, Holy Hell, and the Disciple of Narcissistic Leaders. You can get it, and everybody misspells my name, so I'm going to spell it for you. It's R-A-D, put the D right there. H is after the D, R-A-D-H-I-A, Gleis, G-L-E-I-S, dot com. You can get the book. You can buy it off of my website. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you, right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.